It's Leon Diop here. Hi, I'm Amanda Addy. I'm Femi Bancoli. My name is Bonnie O'Demonet. This is the Black and Irish Podcast. This podcast is, is about us getting into the nitty gritty of what it's like growing up as a black and Irish person, growing up with, with a different skin tone in Ireland. Telling the stories, sharing experiences, highlighting racism, pretty much just playing a part in like trying to integrate the black Irish community into the wider Irish society. A weekly chat where we talk about all things race. It's just, you know, bringing someone fascinating on, get them to share the story in their own words, whether it's positive, whether it's negative. A lot of these stories were either experienced by us or they stayed within the community. So we wanted to create a platform where these stories can be shared. This is the Black and Irish Podcast. Hi everyone, Femi here from the Black and Irish Podcast. On this week's episode, we're joined by Timmy Ogunyemi. We chat to him about his media career, what it was like for him growing up in Ireland, and talk about what it's like raising a dual heritage child in Ireland. Here we go with the podcast. I was born in Lagos and made in Dublin because when I got here, I suppose developmentally, I wasn't really 15. I was probably around 12 or 13 years old, if that makes any sense. I didn't really know much. I knew a lot. I was a big, bit nerd and geek and all that kind of stuff. But I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in the best way possible. But I didn't really know much about the world, if that makes any sense. So I just was very much facts, but I didn't know anything. And, and I sort of became who I am after I got here to Ireland. I was born in Lagos, Nigeria, super proud of my sort of heritage, but also super proud of my new home as well. What was it like for you growing up in Ireland? It was really strange. I mean, here's the thing. So we talk about, you know, what's it like growing up in a particular place? And I was very lucky that my dad was a pilot when I was younger. So I got to travel a lot. Yes, I did age in those places and I, I put on years. I didn't actually do any real growing up, right? You know, I don't feel like I was taking in as much as I, as, I, as I could or should have. And just for context, when we moved here, I didn't know that they spoke English here. I didn't know that English was the main language here. And I remember moving over here and going, Dad, I just want to move to a place where we don't have to learn a new language. And then I got here and someone said, how are you when we got to the airport? And I was like, oh, they don't speak English, right? Because to me, how are you was, was like this weird foreign language. But then you get past the whole thing and it's like, oh, right, everyone's super nice, whatever. It wasn't strange, I suppose, until I went to school. Coming from a Nigerian family, you're very sheltered, right? Everything sort of revolves around the home, but in a very sort of dad-down way, if that makes any sense. Well, for me, that was the case anyway. But I didn't really know much even about Ireland until I went to school. Um, and I realized and I noticed, hang on, I'm the. there was two black people in the whole of the town. It was me and this other dude. And funny enough, we lived across the street from each other as well. So it was really like this weird kind of balance where we were in each other's lives in at home, but also in school and we could sort of support each other. It was really strange at first, you know, going from, you know, Nigeria and then to England where multiculturalism was just normal. And then going from like London to Nace where there was two black people in the whole town that I knew. In terms of, you know, your school experience in Ireland, how did that differ from your school experience in London or Nigeria, per se? If you know me, right, you sort of know me as this super outgoing, mad, well, mad is, I think that's a bit ableist, but 
I, I'm sort of this known as the super outgoing, colorful character. But actually, when I was younger and growing up, I was probably, I was always, not even probably, I was always that sort of outcast kid. So like, I never really fit into any, you know, friend groups. I was sort of always on the outskirts of conversations. That was with me the whole way through growing up. And I think that's because I moved around quite a lot and sort of affected my own way of getting to know people and, and, and forming relationships with people. So when I think about some experiences in Nigeria, for example, of going to school in Nigeria, it would it would be very much that typical on the outside looking in, but trying to fit in as much as possible and failing miserably. My first really bad experience in a school was was in in London, actually, it was the school that I went to. I remember these, I was the first African in the school. I was in this place called Crawley. All the kids sort of formed a circle around me and started singing something along the lines of, you know, the little African boy. And I think it was at that moment that I knew, okay, there's something sort of different around me, about me. So even though I was an outcast before, I didn't think I was different. I thought I just was different to other people or inside rather. But it was when I was in London going to school that I realized I was different to other people as well. In Ireland, it was a little bit different. Yes, I was different. And I knew that I was different from the outside looking in. But I was sort of starting to become older and sort of understand, you know, societal pressures. I wanted to fit in so much I would like relax my hair. You know, I wanted to do all these things that that made me feel like people around me. But then this sort of feeling to to be like other people, when that started to not work as such, what I tried to do was fit into the stereotype of what does a, you know, a black 15-year-old or 16-year-old look like? And so I started doing things that I didn't feel was me, right? So I would start wearing those big baggy jeans, wearing bandanas. And like, that was never me. I was never into that culture or that music. But I really felt like I had to do this in order to stand out, right? That would have been my sort of experience in school in three different places. So going from being the outcast because I just was a bit of a nerd and a geek to being the African boy, to playing up to the stereotype in order to stand out, to make myself sort of visible. And that would sort of be my, my character That's arc very if you were looking at it like a play. <laughs> yeah. When you went to college, you felt more free. I lived in Nace, right, in County Kildare. And like I said, there was two black kids my age. It was me and this kid who lived across the street from me. When I went to, the first place I went to college in was, um, I've actually, so we, we met in DIT, uh, Angel Street, right? But before I went yeah. to Angel Street, I went to Kevin Street. Um, and then after I went to D- DIT, Kevin Street, I actually went to UCD for a couple of years before I came back as a mature student. <laughs> I did the rounds. Commuting to Dublin as a 17-year-old as a was just liberating because I just didn't feel alone, right? I didn't feel like it was just me and and Ike against the world. I felt like there was more people that I could like look at and identify with and hang out with and almost sort of I could redefine myself in a way that was truer to me. So I didn't have to pretend to be this rapper kid, right? Um, I could just be who I, who I was. And I suppose that's what really that freedom was to me. It was just more being more myself and, and not putting on that sort of disguise.
when we talk about like my career, I don't really know what it is, right? All I know is that it's a journey, right? I don't have a traditional career. So I tried that. I did the whole go and, you know, work an internship, join a, you know, a firm and work your way up. I, I tried to do that and it just didn't work for me. And I think that's just my personality. When I went back to DIT as a, a mature student, it coincided with when I started up my own, I don't want to call it a business, but when I look back in hindsight, it was actually a bit of a, an agency. Um, I just didn't know it was an agency. It was a collective of seven to 12 people where we just sort of explored Dublin and we wanted to, to show that Dublin was a cool city. You know, people went to London and Berlin and Copenhagen and Stockholm and they were like, those places are Delhi. And this was in around the recession as well, the big one, um, or just after the recession, I should say, when I started Picture This. And it was just a group of people who had seen lots of people emigrate, but could see lots of really vibrant things happening here. And we just wanted to explore that, right? So we, we met lots of artists, musicians, and we just wanted to... Um, sort of document what they were doing, but have some fun with them. So we would put on um, uh, exhibitions, you know, where we bring people over from Brooklyn um, and then match them up with people over here and just create some really cool stuff. Um, and then just like lots of, lots and lots of things like that. And then for some reason, it started getting picked up in the papers. Um, I got to go onto the news and, you know, do like shows with um, like Ryan Turberty. And here I am talking to Femi Bankley of Black and Irish, you know. Um, so like it was just, it just was one thing after another that just sort of happened. But for me, it was always about finding something cool. And when I say cool, I don't mean like hipster. I just mean something that I found interesting and just wanted to roll with it and see see what came of it, you know. Um, that's how it started. How it got to where it is, I could not tell you. I, I think it's just been working hard and, and, and you know, getting to know people and having fun um, and, and not so much doing favors for people, but trying to show people that I care about what they're doing. Um, and if it, if, it, if, it, if it meant that they cared about what I was doing in turn, then great. But it was never about, you know, I'll do you a favor for this. It was always about a collective experience of, you know, growing a bigger pie and having a bigger slice than getting a bigger piece of the pie that's already there. I hope that makes sense. No, it does. And it's very interesting there because what you're saying was that, you know, earlier on in your career, you were navigating the, the media industry of, of Ireland. Um, I'm just very intrigued, you know, because from what I can see, um, again, I, I, I just consume media in Ireland. I'm not necessarily part of the media. Um, what was that? What was that like for you as as a black man in in media earlier on in your career? In terms of like, you know, did you have any inspirations that you looked up to, or how was it? How was how did you navigate that that world as a black man? Oftentimes, we we sort of look for role models, right? Um, people who sort of um, who have done it, and we can sort of look at look at them and go, okay, how can I do it? So, for example, if I I'm a comedian. I want to look up to say somebody like um, Trevor Noah and I want to be on a late night TV show. How did Trevor Noah do it? Right. But over here, there wasn't really that path because there was nothing for me to look at and say that I want that thing. Right. Um, All I knew was that I wanted um, to create um, something. I didn't actually, most of the time, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I just knew that I wanted with a passion to create something, right? But there was no one who was doing anything like that I wanted to do that looked like me. So I just decided I was just going to 
just keep doing what I was doing and collaborating with people. Um, and that hopefully I would, you know, find like-minded people and, and, and do something cool. It was an absolute slog. Like, and to be honest, in many cases, it was finding allies as opposed to breaking down doors by myself. Right. Um, I think about some of the, the, the coolest works that I've done, it's always been finding someone who, who was an ally and who, who was actually already open to other cultures and other media and going, Oh, this person is doing stuff that people are doing in X um, geographic location. Um, but no one's doing here. Let's work with this guy to, to, you know, he's got the same energy. Right. And it was really weird because I felt like where someone I was working with, but didn't have the same passion as me, but um, and I don't want this to sound like weird or whatever, but who didn't have the same passion as me, but had more contacts um, and knew sort of, not knew more people, but sorry, because that same thing is who, who had more contacts, had more contacts, but also had the knowledge from, from growing up in that environment, already had that, that foot in the door. It's easy to see how they could do, you know, how they could get to where they were going. But I didn't actually really have that path, right? So, if you ask me now, what am I doing? I, I don't actually even know what I'm doing right now. All I know is that I'm having a lot of fun and I'm creating cool stuff. Who am I creating it for? I can't remember. But it's kind of like this, this weird. I'm, I'm not really following any path. I'm trying to forge my own. Um, and if I get recognized for that, I'm happy out. But I don't need that recognition. I need, for me, the the sort of the happiness comes in the. In, in getting that thing created, right? In, in doing that thing that I'm trying to do. mentioned something there about you know your path to making connections in media is that by virtue of you just being a black man or do you think it's just because of like your unique style and the uniqueness of what you're trying to achieve in media let's start with the uniqueness piece right i think the allies that i find that i work with most of the time are genuine right i've never worked with an ally that i didn't feel was a genuine person However, what they're reacting to is potentially my own vibe that I bring to a room. When I walk into a room, I don't want to be stereotyped as, oh, he's that guy who's X. So when I walk into a room, my first thought most of the time is I need to show my personality as quickly as possible to as many people as possible so that they know me for who I am and they don't come to a conclusion before they've had a chance to speak to me. And I think it's something that that translates as, oh, he's a very colorful character or he's very um, outgoing or whatever. But that's my way of making sure that people know me for who I am with that before they start to stereotype me. And I think sort of the allies that I've worked with are working with that version of me, which suits me down to the ground because that's who I am anyway. Do you feel that Black people are represented adequately in Irish media? Short answer and long answer. Short answer is no. Long answer is no. But we need to understand who is in the Irish media landscape, right? Um, when I say no, I'm saying 
that there's 15% of people in Ireland who are not a traditional white Irish person that we expect to see in the Irish landscape. 15% of us are black, Asian and from other minorities. But that's not reflected in what's in our media. You're not being spoken to by people who A, represent you or B, understand you. And that means that people are either talking past you or talking at you, which doesn't foster real conversation or real growth for anybody apart from the 85% that's already being spoken to. It's really frustrating for me when I look at my son, who's he watching on television that represents him? And I think about all the shows he watches, both in Irish and international media, not one of those people looks like him, right? And that's not good enough. We need to have more people who who are representative of the media landscape and then the general population in order to not just be equitable, but so that we can make sure that we're capturing all angles of conversation. And I think that's really, really important because until we can do that, well, the, we're not going to change our media. We don't need an evolution. And I know this is going to sound mad. We need a revolution in our media because we're going to get left behind even further than other parts of the world. And it's, as you can see, in the way that we're consuming media, people will stop watching Irish TV. People, Well, I think some of them may have already stopped. So I shouldn't be saying this on an RT call, but that doesn't matter. People will stop engaging with Irish media because they don't feel like they're being spoken to. And this is not going to be just black or Asian people. This is going to be white people as well, because they're going to understand that the world is bigger than just what's seen on Irish television. How do you think we can find a solution to that? You know, is affirmative action something that you think would work? Mm. I, I don't think we need affirmative action in the first instance, right? I think what we first need to do before we get to the affirmative action conversation is to look at and, and see why do we want to include more people in our conversations? And I, what I'm saying, I'm trying not to use the word diversity, but we need to include different people in conversations at conception all the way through to delivery. So people who are coming up with these ideas for new TV shows, people who are you know, producing these shows, people who are working on these shows and people in front of the camera, we need to understand why we want to make that change. Is the reason we want to make that change because we want to be seen to be ticking a box? Then, okay, sure, do affirmative action, but it's not helping anyone. Is the reason because we want to make sure that we are speaking to our audience in a way that is genuine and, and, and not inauthentic, then we should do it. But that's not affirmative action. That's hiring correctly, right? And that's hiring people who who are who have a message or who have a reason to be hired, right? And I think that's for me, yes, you can say that is affirmative action, but for me it's 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 actually just correcting the balance, right? And understanding that your audience has changed. And that audience hasn't changed radically. That audience has changed over a long time, but our media hasn't changed. And that's why we need to do this as a revolutionary, not an, an evolutionary change. I don't know about the word affirmative action. I think it can have some negative connotations, but I think that we need to look at the the reason why we need to include more people in, in conversation. So we could invite anyone who wants to our party, but they're not really at the party until they're on the dance floor dancing with us. You mentioned your son earlier. What's it like raising a mixed-race child in Ireland? 
Yeah, I mean, so the first thing I would say is I, I just don't like, I don't, first of all, I don't like the term mixed race, right? And the reason why I don't like the term mixed race is because there is no race. We're all the same, right? First of all. And he's not mixed, he's both. And I think it's really, really important that we sort of start, start to change that that tag. I know many people are happy with it because it sounds better than what people used previously, but I think we need to understand that we need to bring that on even further. And I suppose I'm only coming to understand this because I have a child who's dual heritage, right? And if you'd asked me before he was born, even four months before he was born, I'd been like, it's gonna be amazing, it's easy, it's this and that's that. But what I'm seeing is he is amazing and he's he's all the good things that I said there, but there's a lot of people out here in this country who who are disgusted by that, right? And that hurts me so much inside because they can't see past the outside shell into the inside person. I think it was Trevor Noah who said it. I'm not if it says Trevor Noah, but it's, I shouldn't feel any burden because of the shell that I carry before the burden of the person that I am, right? That shouldn't, it shouldn't have any bearing on, 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 on me living as a person. And the difficulty around that as a parent is that, I already know that he is going to be on the end of abuse from 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 all sides of, of the aisle, and it's really really worrying to me. It's it's quite scary because then I have to pre-educate him so that when that time comes, and if I'm not there, you know, he can he can react in a in a in a in a way that doesn't affect him long term. You know, he's only four; he's already been on the end of of remarks that we spoke about previously. The second thing then is his education. I want to make sure that he goes to a place that he is educated properly. And what I mean is fairly and has access to the same tools that everybody else has, um, the same contacts that everybody else has. And it might seem like quite a trivial thing, but actually it's a really, really big worry. And it's something that we're currently going through because of his, his age. I think those would be my two sort of biggest worries, but you know, he's such an amazing person. I think he'll be, I hope he'll be just fine. That pre-educative piece that you mentioned is is so important. And I'm sure it's something that you feel, something that I feel, you know, my parents pre-educated me as as a as a black child growing up in Ireland. How do you approach that conversation with a with a four-year-old? Oh, it's uh it's an issue like we honestly we talk about this all the time. We don't have all the answers, right? And we are constantly learning how to be parents, you know, it never stops. And I think that education has to be a positive thing so that when we are having conversations with him, it's very much about how he can constantly be a better person and how he can constantly be a good person and to understand that out there that not everybody is going to be like him, but he has to continually be the better person. And it's so difficult to do because you expect people to feel the same way, but they just don't. Uh, I'm just conscious that he might be listening to me right now. <laughs> so I'm like choosing my words very, very carefully. It's something that's very, very difficult, but we have to continuously um, reinforce positive behaviors, also positive thinking about situations. So it's a situational thing and understanding that not in, in every situation that you're in, people will not have the greatest intent. Now it's finding the correct words to to say that, that's difficult, but that people around you don't, don't always have positive intent and making sure that you can be ahead of that. So that's the sort of mindset that we continuously have to, to reinforce.
You mentioned positive reinforcement. How important is positive reinforcement from allies? How important is it in an online environment where there is such hate and vitriol? I, can, I probably can, but I can't quantify from a you know scientific or whatever standpoint just how um, important it is. Um, people are talking about how important it is to just to not just be not racist, but to be anti-racist. Having allies online becomes so much more than just, hey, Timmy, don't worry about it. Having allies online becomes important because we can begin to shape what we want our own society to look like, right? If you go back to the marriage equality referendum that passed, you didn't have just people who were gay, straight, or you had everyone who was gay and straight and in between voting to say that this is the way that we see our future Right. So that allyship was super important and that spread through interactions online, but also door to door. When we had the referendum on repeal the eighth, you didn't just have women um, or people who reproduce voting yes uh, to repeal. You had women, men, and everyone on the spectrum in between voting to say, this is the future that we see. If you don't have allies, then your voice becomes so much smaller than it is. When you have allies, your voice gets magnified beyond what it could be. If I'm thinking about it from a non-selfish point of view, it's about magnification of a stance. And when and then if you took, think about it from a selfish point of view, when you have allies, it just makes you feel human. It makes you feel not alone. And it makes you feel like, yeah, you know, let's go off and make this change. For me, that's why allyship is so important. People need to to spread the message to, first of all, make sure other people understand the struggle that people are going through. But secondly, so they can understand that there are people out there who don't look like them, but contribute to society just as much as they as they do. And once we start to do that, then we can make real change. And hopefully we can bring in some kind of law, uh, hate crime laws in this country that will make these vitriolic remarks, if not stop, then at least to, to curb their enthusiasm to steal um, that line. Well, that's it for this week's podcast. Please subscribe on rte.ie forward slash podcast. You can also check us out on social media during the week. Catch us on black underscore and Irish on Instagram and Facebook. Till next time, stay safe.